Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And from the border of liberty and prosperity and the highway to the north, this is Safety Wars for Tuesday. Yes, Tuesday, May 30th, 2023. How's everybody doing there? I hope everybody is enjoying the beautiful weather, finally. It's here in the Northeast, at least. I don't know about anywhere else. Okay, so this is what we're looking at. I have this whole thing zoomed in. It's very uncomfortable. I don't know what the deal is with the uh, or any, anything else, so... Hold on, let me try this. Oh, if I start hitting buttons, I'm sure I'll lose everything. So we're just going to roll. How's everybody doing? I wanted to thank Jay Allen last week for giving us a little bit of a shout out on the radio uh, safety. (laughs) Oh, it's going to be a long broadcast from the rated R safety show on safety FM. Uh, we're going to, this hat was on Wednesday, so I'm going to go and I'm going to play it for you right here. So let's see what we have here. Have you listened or watched, uh, the safety war show? It does stream live on, on the radio and, um, on the streamer emers that we have. So if you have not taken a listen to Jim Bozel and what the hell he's doing, every evening with uh, safety wars i would i would strongly encourage you to um to take a view or take a listen um whichever option is available for you and take a listen to what the hell he has going on uh it's definitely it will take some deep dives and some information that you might be interested in thank you very much jay it uh, means a lot to me to get recognized by someone else and out there right uh, i'll take whatever i can get and uh, believe me, uh, Jay Allen gives uh, me a lot of coaching, a lot of encouragement, a lot of support here. So I want to thank him uh, first and foremost. Uh, today we're, is not going to be uh, like, uh, no, we're not going to change. We're going to go into a deep dive here. Uh, I meant to go over this uh, the last couple of days that we've been broadcasting, but we're, uh, it's, has really worked out uh, with that because we're now most people. This is what you hear. Well, M radio, right? Uh, AM radio phased out, Ford, everything else. But what I want to point out to everyone here is this: the this is a big deal with the phase out of AM radio. If you think it cannot happen in the Western hemisphere, uh, guess again, uh, Sweden 
phased out all terrestrial radio in their cars. I don't know what the uh, status is elsewhere, but uh, basically they phased out everything uh, with that. I'm seeing if making sure we're on the air uh, here with this. Uh, they, uh, I don't know how it's impacting them or how their disaster sites are set up or management or emergency management is set up, but it's something that uh, it's something that I'm concerned about. I'm very concerned about with all this. So here's what I have. Well, I know I'm being recorded here. I hope we're on all the other networks. So we, uh, you know, it's been an ongoing issue and AM radio. No, everybody's like, well, nobody, I don't read or listen to AM radio. So it doesn't impact me. Well, first of all, you're probably full of groove now. If you're saying that. Uh, it does impact you, impacts you in ways you don't realize. A little bit of history here. Everyone knows I'm an audiophile. Everyone knows that. I've been listening to radio my entire life. And it's still probably the most popular medium out there for reaching the mass market. People are saying, well, what about the internet? Statistics at this point do not point bear that out. With certain populations, it does. But with the overall, well, overall majority, not so much. Even with the 13-plus group, 13 to 24, which is a key demographic, they're still going to terrestrial radio. Nielsen ratings and everything uh, have pointed out. Uh, that's what I've been looking up all day here. Uh, this is, uh, is all this stuff. So real simple. There's been a move to phase out AM radio by something like eight auto manufacturers because of apparent interference from electric cars. I used to have a truck that had a lot of interference with uh, electrical stuff. I couldn't listen to AM radio unless the truck was shut off. We got the radio replaced. It was covered by a warranty. And guess what? It, uh, you know, it, it was great. But so electrical interference on AM radio is not anything new. It's been well-documented, well-experienced, and everything else. So I get it. Electric cars, there's interference with it. Can they put, is there a technological answer to it? I'm told, yeah, there is with that. But again, it always comes down to cost. And, you know, this issue with electric cars and radio, AM radio, always was a question for me from square one. We know this. There's one spot on Route and 1 and 9. You want to talk about interference? Route 1 and 9 in Linden, New Jersey, where 77 AM and 710 WOR on the AM dial switch right across from the Bayway Refinery between BJ's, the Exxon Station, and the Bayway Refinery. It switches. Probably not a unique thing. Uh, I, probably not unique at all. Probably a lot of other areas where that happens, too, across the country. That's what I'm familiar with in our uh, neighborhood. But I'm no, I, I digress. So I've had an ongoing love affair with, with radio as long as I can remember. I lament the phase out. Eventually, this is going to be phased out, I fear. Hopefully not in my lifetime. But things appear to be moving, that's what we're told, to 
streaming platforms like what we're on now. I can't complain about streaming platforms because that's how I'm communicating with you now. This is where something like 28% of the people in the United States get their information is from streaming platforms, one for another, entertainment and everything else. But radio is still three quarters of the market out there for this type of program. So that uh, again, here are some other statistics. So you talk about Ford, and that, that, that was a big one, but it's others, something like seven other ones. Ford, uh, phasing out AM radios, 20% of all AM radio listeners are Ford owners. 23% of GM owners are AM radio listeners. So that's one-fifth of your customer base, your what, you're just going to say, well, you don't need to do that. We'll do streaming. There are problems with streaming. And and what's crazy is, in, uh, so you're looking at 40% uh, potentially, or thereabouts, are Ford or Chevy or Ford and GM product listeners. Right? And we've uh, talked about loyalty to brand, Ford, Chevy. I tell you what, I go all over the country and people are very passionate about the brand of autos out there. And those are probably two of the worst, two of the worst uh, uh, perpetrators that when I was growing up, it's either your Ford truck, uh, Ford trucks uh, buyer, your uh, Chevy buyer or GMC. And uh, Chrysler was an afterthought. That was a uh, imitation. They're all good products. I've owned them all, by the way. The connection between cars and radios is really important, even today. was before the internet, still today. Some statistics are putting four hours per week is being listened to on radio in a car for those older than 13 years old. So, again, the average person that's regularly in a car, four hours a week of radio. Whether it's AM, FM, you know, or what have you. That's what it's going down to. Here's another point for you. Up until the mid-1990s, some brands of cars still offered only AM radios as standard equipment. FM was optional. So my 1994 Chevy pickup, uh, I had to pay $300 more for AM radio. So it's here. It's ubiquitous. Everybody uses it. We're going to talk about disasters later on. AM radio has some advantages over FM radio. AM radio has a longer range than FM radio. That's probably the most important advantage of that. AM radios, a little bit of science review here, bounce off of the ionosphere. AM radio has a much larger range than FM because of that. So FM radio signals go essentially from line of sight only to the horizon. That's why they're so high, these radio antennas. FM has some advantages, seem trivial, but they are important for a lot of people. One of them is improved fidelity for the sound. You listen to an AM music station, there are them in the Northeast, not very popular, but they're, they're out there. Uh, WRCR is our local one right over here in uh uh, broadcast out of Pomona, New York, not New Jersey. I know I have Stockton or Richard Stockton College of New Jersey listeners out there. No, I'm not talking about Pomona, New Jersey. I'm talking, no, 
Uh, I'm talking about Pomona, New York. Lake Fred Radio, 91.7 out of Pomona, New Jersey. Uh, but right here, and you listen to that compared to uh, compared to FM stations, big difference in radio quality and as far as fidelity, how it sounds and everything else. As a matter of fact, uh, Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr were saying they were used to listening to AM radio so much their own, to their music that well, when they listen to it on FM or even when they digitally remastered everything onto CDs, there's stuff in there that they forgot that they put in little bells, little whistles, little, little notes, and everything else. So, no, fidelity is better. Lack of interference from weather events. So if you think electric cars interfere with AM radio, you can hear lightning strikes on AM radio. Uh, that's the most uh, common one. Sunspot uh, activities, things of that nature. From an FCC or Federal Communications uh, Commission perspective, FM stations are well-defined geographically, and there is low chance of there being interference from other radio stations. So, for example, not this is not the case today, but I was working a job in Kentucky in 1995-1996, that uh, time frame. There was a local AM radio station that's now WCGW. I don't recall what it was back then, but they broadcast on 77 AM during the day, up till like 5 o'clock. At 5 o'clock, they shut down. What ended up happening was uh, uh, once they shut down at 5 o'clock, I was able to get WABC out of New York City. This is 800 miles away. Take note. 800 miles away, I was able to get 77 a.m. out of New York, crystal clear. Better than what I got in Central Jersey, by the way. So, in New York State, big issue. 1920s, 1930s, 1940s. A lot of hobby hobby uh, radio stations. Now we call them low power uh, radio stations for so for example you have a christmas light display that's one that's common you have a radio station people can, can have a low powered radio station broadcasting christmas music and it, it goes like a hundred foot off the property you don't get interference with anything else any other radio stations that are licensed or anything else and new york city i was reading that and i read this a long time ago not just today there were issues in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s where people would set up a radio station for their building, in the high-rises, for their block, for their neighborhood. And people got PO'd because the licensed uh, radio stations, they were getting overdriven and everything. They were losing revenue. They were violating their license. That's why we assign property rights to this stuff. And that's highly regulated. Even today, there was a... Uh, uh, story I heard from somebody who uh, their permit, uh, the FCC had a typo in their permit for a local emergency response group. And this was a tow truck company that had an FCC license broadcast from uh, on a UHF band for a handheld radio and for base stations for their tow truck service up in upstate New York. Cell phone service, really spotty, but the UHF worked pretty good. So they were broadcasting and the FCC issued a license to the police 
for a new radio setup and had a misprint on there, a typo. And before you know it, there was a SWAT team at his front door uh, demanding that he shut down his uh, operations because they were going to arrest him for violating this thing on the state level. So it was very important. And they got everything sorted out later on. And uh, not too many people, I wish I could say they were laughing about it. They weren't really laughing about it. So really important here with uh, bands and everything. So AM... Because of this whole thing with the power of the station, they may have a little bit of overlap of stations and things of that nature. So let's talk about disasters. Because that's been the big thing in Congress as of late with some of the laws uh, that are uh, proposed. We'll go into those in a minute. Uh, They're saying, well, disaster response is relying on AM radio. And I said, man, that doesn't seem to make sense. But let me look that up. One of the things is I recommend everyone, I mean everyone, dealing with disaster preparation, whether it's a facility, a house, or anything else, car, you have an AM, FM radio, a portable one, right? And if you can, a shortwave uh, receiver and weather van receiver on them. Right now, I have a police fan radio right here, and I... I no, I have to find out. Uh, the technology has changed a little bit. Uh, but you have to find out what the frequencies your people are on, your what you're interested in. And even if it's legal, because I tell you what, you get pulled over in some jurisdictions with a police scanner, you're going to have a problem in your car. Uh, because they think, you know, you're evading the police and things of that nature. But anyway... Yeah, no, this is what a, a basic disaster preparation is, is to have an AM, FM radio. Whether it's a small one, like a trans, what we used to call transistor radios, or maybe some of the larger ones. Right? So, uh, blah, blah, blah. To eliminate terrestrial radio is an actual public emergency situation. It's bad. Let's talk about two emergencies and... The situation we have here where I live in Rockland County, where you live, it's probably the same. The first one is on 9-11. On 9-11, when the Twin Towers came down, several radio and TV stations were knocked off the air. Completely off the air. Some of the stations had a backup. Some did not because their stuff was on the Twin Towers. Radio, again, portable. Right? We could carry it around. So he said, well, we're going to watch it on TV. I watched most of it on TV of that day. But guess what? Radio is portable. You're not going to be carrying around a TV. Now, the second one is Superstorm Sandy. 2012, same deal. We were out without power in my neighborhood from 10 to 14 days. Some areas in northern New Jersey and rural New York were had it worse than us. They were out for like three weeks, four weeks. Even today, during winter storms, some nasty storms other times of the year, areas could be without power. We had no internet access in 2012 with Superstorm Sandy. We did not have internet access. The only thing that we had, we had no phone. We had a, The only thing we had was the voice over internet protocol in my Subaru. The 3G network I was able to make access the internet pretty well 
not really well, but okay. And we were able to make phone calls on that. Again, that was spotty because everybody went on into their, uh, like today, we have, uh, uh, you know, uh, everybody jumping on at one time and cloud, no, everything gets flooded now in the airwaves. You can't get access. So you would think that things have improved. So let's remember this. No power. Most people were without generators during Sandy in this area. Some people had a legitimate thing. They couldn't afford them. They didn't have the know-how. They didn't know how to start a generator or anything like that. So no power. That meant no computers, no internet access, no phones. You needed terrestrial radio. That's all that was available, especially the AM radio. We'll talk more about that in a couple of minutes here because this is pretty important here with this to understand. Wi-Fi or cellular service? Well, we have that today. Well, this is what happens. What happens when the cellular tower goes down? Today, what, what do we have? This happened this afternoon. The kids all get home from school. Everybody goes on their, the internet to do their homework or to play video games or to do whatever. And we don't have good internet connections from like 2 or 3 o'clock to like 5 o'clock. I try to record some of this stuff and upload it. Some days I can't do it because we don't have an internet service. By the way, we got the fastest internet service. I'm not going to mention the company available. And we have two dedicated lines in our household. One for this program, one for uh, my wife's uh, job. So we have two dedicated lines separate. We still do not have enough bandwidth with between 2 and 5 p.m. That's when everybody's getting home. The last week, we had two days where in the middle of the night, internet service went down for my entire area. So it's not reliable. You need all this equipment. You need a computer. You need a modem. You need internet, all of that stuff. This is where radio fills the void here. Radio, you need one thing, the radio. Turn it on, and you need someone sending you a signal and information. A lot less could go wrong with that. Terrestrial radio, right? Reliable. Nothing much going on there. How about the next one? Hey, Jim, why don't we use FM radio? Let's talk about radio FM. Here in Rockland County, New York, where I'm from, and it's not much different than anywhere else, we have 18 radio stations on AM. We have 22 FM radio stations, right? All in the uh, uh, New York metro area that are available. Some of the stations are hyper-local, hyper like WRCR AM 1700. AM radio, and I did, a, I did it. I went out, I got the list. AM radio is geared, here, here's the list. You don't believe me. AM radio is geared towards news and talk. So I have an inventory here. Here we go. 18 cents in AM. We have two sports stations, three news talk, one public radio station, two news stations, an ethnic station, a business news station, one pure talk radio station, classic hits 
and an adult contemporary station. That's what we have. Comes down to 18. And we have five religious ones on, on a. They're all talk. They're related to talk. One of those stations also broadcasts on the FM band, band. 1010WINS out of uh, New York took over K Rock 923. People are pissed. People are still pissed over it. But anyway, they recently took over. FM has 22 radio stations here in the metro New York area, Rockland County. That's one news station on there, and one public broadcasting station on there. That's what they have that are available here in Rockland County. So you're going to say, well, this sounds like a conspiracy theory, right? Uh, blah, blah, blah. All that. Well, why am I bringing it up? The issue is, can the FM students pivot and go to emergency broadcasting? The a- Everyone thinks it's easy here doing broadcasting. I never thought it was easy, but I didn't know what it entailed until I started doing this program. I'm not uh, like uh, Jay Allen, the safety mystic on Rated R Safety Show, heard on the Safety FM network daily, 7 a.m. Eastern time. They uh, been in this pretty much his entire life. Comes an app, becomes a natural. A lot of these broadcasters and those are naturals. It the, if you're going to be going top 40 radio, and we're going to hear uh, from the next rotation, Tears for Fears came out. This song came out, no, 1993. And you hear, shout, shout, let it all out, blah, 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 blah. All right. It's kind of hard to pivot from that to, we're going to switch on over to a local disaster uh, 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 story now. And then they go into a disaster. You're not going to have the expertise. They're not going to be. Can they pivot? Some will. Some won't. You're not. You, however, you go to a news station. They're used to covering this stuff all the time. They're used to doing this all the time. Uh, with that, and um, what what do we have? The government has the emergency alert system, which is the Cold War success, successor to the emergency broadcast system started in 1997. So I was able to go. I got this document. Power outage incident annexed to response and recovery federal interagency operational plans. This is the government, uh, their documents here. And I'm going to read from this document. I know nobody wants to hear Jim read all the time. Well, guess what? This one we're going to read. And by the way, we have this here is right from uh, Homeland Security in June 2017. This has not been updated. And this gives you a whole bunch of information. Since communications systems rely on electricity, any incident that causes long-term power outages will create a challenging environment for telecommunications and public messaging. Situational awareness will be difficult to obtain, and any information may change frequently before an incident stabilizes. We found this out with the uh, East Palestine, Ohio situation and the uh, uh, railway disaster. So uh, frequently, right. This will com- complicate efforts to deploy and employ, deploy and employ resources effectively. Local impacts will vary widely based on cascading impacts, CI, the level and quality of local preparedness efforts 
and the availability of capabilities of local, state, tribal, territorial, and insular area resources. Impacts that result from a long-duration power outage will vary depending on the incident. An incident that results in physical damage to electrical power infrastructure, like an earthquake, will also likely damage or destroy telecommunications infrastructure and require extended federal communications support. Incidents that may not result in physical damage to communications infrastructure, like space weather, may require non-traditional response and recovery strategies, going on and on and on and on, when things last for a specific uh, long-term uh, thing. And it goes on. Well, this is where it is, public messaging. This means broadcast, right? During a long-term power outage, Public messaging in messaging informs all affected segments of society by providing credible messaging to expedite a, the delivery of emergency services and aid the public in taking protective actions. This is what I mean with a pivot. AM radio, more equipped. The stations are more equipped to go into information versus top 40 radio. And this is not a, this is a gen, in general. Not specifically, you're going to get some people with all different things. I'll probably get people complaining all the time, but they're set up. They have the contacts for, uh, they have the contacts for, uh, for news, for credibility. Do you want to have somebody freaking out? Oh, no, you know, screaming. No, you know what? You have people who are calm, collective, everything else. A long term power outage brings unique challenges for communications between government officials and the public since traditional public information and warning mechanisms rely on electricity communication through television radio remember this is 2017 email and social media may not be possible for the majority of the public i'm gonna add reliable based on our covid experience uh, may not be possible for the majority of public if no electricity is available to power the apparatuses used to transmit and receive this information. So you don't have power. You don't have any of this stuff. But there's more here. And in an incident that does result in significant infrastructure, some methods of communications immediately following an incident then degrade over time. In these cases, it is estimated that following a power loss, there will be a four, right? You disaster uh, preparation people, four to eight hour window in which dissemination of information, the emergency alert system, and the integrated public alert warning system, I pause, will be most effective. Four to eight hour window. After that window, communication abilities are expected to degrade. Due to the loss of battery power on devices such as radios and mobile phones, a typical smart device, and this hasn't changed, but it's gotten a little bit better. A typical smart device may hold, let me lower this, may hold for a four to eight hour window in which dissemination of information through iPods will be most effective. Four to eight hours. After that window, communication ability. Okay, I'll reset that. A typical smart device may hold the battery charge for five to eight hours, though methods of recharge may be available. Car batteries.
batteries, inverters, solar uh, chargers, hand crank devices. The rate of failure will depend heavily on local preparedness. Cellular towers, for example, may have backups or a generator backup system that could maintain power for a few hours or a few days. Now, here, here's a clincher here. The National Public Warning System, operated by IPAWS, which we just mentioned, to provide a resilient emission broadcasting, uh, uh, provides a nationwide all-hazards warning capability for president in the event of a national catastrophic disaster. Let's repeat this. IPAWS uh, provides a nationwide all-hazards warning capability for the president. The core of the National Public Warning System is comprised of privately owned commercial and non-commercial radio broadcast stations that cooperatively co participate with FEMA to provide a resilient information broadcasting capability. This is where it all comes down to, guys and gals. With all this, phasing out AM radio will impact this existing system. There are 77 stations nationwide that the government uses with backups and everything else that are uh, uh, can reach 90% of the nation's population. 77 stations. FEMA installed power and other resiliency features at these stations. Sustains the cap capability to support the system, the mission. Stations outside the NW, NPWS will need to request any resources through their state emergency management channels for local broadcasting needs. Based on what we just went, with, went through with COVID, I ain't too confident that they're prepared. That's why it's important for you to prepare. So I did a little bit of a dive here. Where is, are my notes? Here. Mm -hmm. Give me a second here. We have, and of course, the notes disappear. Let's go on. It's right here in the document. I'm just going to get the document and open it up. Do, do, do. Give me a second here. I hate it when I do that sort of thing. But this is FEMA incident outage for power. We're going to go over to page 97 in the document. Hold on. Sorry, folks. Bear with me a second. I had this all worked out. So in this document, they list all the stations as of 2017. This has not been updated. So I am in region two. We have one station in Syracuse, one in Rochester, one in New York City. That's WABC out of New York City, Endicott, and in Albany. All of these are AM stations. Some of them broadcast on AM and FM frequencies. So what's the moral of the story here with this? All right. 
when you have 77 stations, here we are right in front of me. So we have primary entry point radio stations here in New York, uh, in region two, I should say, which is New York, uh, New Jersey, Puerto Rico, and the Virgin Islands. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven stations. We have 6 a.m. and 3 FM. 6 a.m. long term, uh, right? Long range. 3 FM. This is what the government's relying on is the AM radio stations. Local with FM, I again again spotty coverage with the way things are to the horizon. AM much further range. Well, can you get other stations? Yeah. Shortwave and everything else. This all goes into this. Why it's so important to have AM radio out there. Think about it. You're going to say, well, uh, you know, AM radio could go, well, could be phased out. Well, not really. Because, again, this is what the emergency broadcast, the emergency alert system is relying on. Not a conspiracy theory. This is all right here in this document, right here. All right. So we get back to what the original question is in the running theme for all these programs on Safety FM. It's the number one question at that I start out every safety training class with. What is safety? If you're in the behavior-based safety world, it's no accidents, no incidents, no injuries. And again, Scott Geller isn't going to say, well, that's like what it is, but that's what it's evolved into. The human organizational performance world, what do we talk about? Resiliency, that means the ability to adapt, and capacity. Two things. Does the internet have a role to play? Streaming services have a role to play in disaster communication, disaster preparation? Obviously. But why would you cut out and make unavailable all this stuff? I think I'm going to probably talk about this again here uh, in the very near future. Why would the why would we do this? Why would we cut off our capacity, make things less safe, less prepared? Rely on technology that hey, you watch this program, technology that is not reliable. AM radio, very well understood. FM radio, very well understood. Infrastructure has been in place since the 1920s for AM radio. 1930s, FM radio came into being, and then in the 60s, it really took off. Right, FM radio was invented in the 30s, and in the 60s, it really took off. Why would you get rid of it? So what can you do? Again, we're not really supposed to get into politics here, but I do. <laughs> I do. I'm a political animal. We all know that. Lawmakers on Capitol Hill are pushing, and this is from Associated Press from last week. Lawmakers on Capitol Hill are pushing to keep AM radio in the nation's cars. A bipartisan group in Congress has introduced AM for Every Vehicle Act. The bill calls on the National Highway Chase Traffic Safety Administration to require automakers to keep AM radio in new cars at no additional cost. 
Things have flipped. FM radio used to be optional. Now AM radio, right? There. The legislation would also require require automakers selling cars manufactured before the proposed regulation take takes effect to let buyers know if the vehicles do not come with AM radios. Supporters of preserving AM radio in cars cite public safety concerns. We just outlined them. This is what I don't like about the AP sometimes and all these other things. Straits Times will probably tell you this out of Signavore. The safety concerns are as follows. One, our entire emergency alert system is AM-based. Well, very few, right, 77 radio stations primarily. Those are the primary ones. Um, with three FM stations in the uh, Region 2 area. That includes Puerto Rico and Virgin Islands. And six AM stations. That's it. Again, that's what the primary things are. Maybe we change it. Uh, I don't know. I don't think you're going to change it the other way easily. The sponsors of the bill put forth Wednesday that a couple of Wednesdays ago. Note AM radio's historic role in transmitting vital information during emergencies, such as communicating during natural disasters, especially to people in rural areas. Car makers shouldn't tune out AM radio and new vehicles or put it behind a costly digital paywall. That's the other advantage of AM radio and all radio. It's free. You just get the radio and you listen to it. You don't have to worry about paywall. Can you imagine? Oh, I, there's an emergency in the area. Uh, let me go to my online service and let me see what I can get. Uh, oh, I'm assuming you can have access to it. Credit card, not valid. Our payment system is down. So what do you do? You got to, again, there is an answer to that. You got to build up uh, a community in your local neighborhood and in disasters. He added that the bill, that is the Senator, Senator Markley, uh, uh, Markey, he added that the bill aims to ensure this resilient and popular communication tool does not become a relic of the past. So here's what I'm, what are we going to do? What are you going to do about it? I can't control what they do in Washington, what they do in Albany, what they do in Trenton, or any of the other state capitals and local jurisdictions. I can't. One man, right? The whole thing that one man can't make a difference, but one man can communicate the message that will make the difference. What are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about this? How are you going to plan for communication systems? Whether, right, walkie-talkie, shortwave, what what are you going to do? That's one question. Is your family going to be okay without TV, radio, internet, and other things? During Sandy, and this has only gotten worse, people were going stir-crazy over internet and TV withdrawals. Me, I was happy because I got, hey, I still had talk radio. I loved it in a way because I was like, ah, suckers, in a way. Sorry for all the loss of life and damage, but, you know, I was like, look. You know, Jim, what radio station are you listening? That's what I heard, right? So radio has certain advantages over satellite and the Internet. AM has certain advantages over FM. Longer range. Government relies on it. Roughly, right, uh, we'll go into this. Uh, as far as radios, I wanted to talk about them. Hey, you can figure it out. I, 
uh, a good transistor radio today is about 20, 25 bucks. A couple of years ago, we uh, had a, a very, my aunt Sophie was having a very rough time uh, with some health issues and everything. She is an aunt at the Felician uh, convent at the Felician University in Lodi, New Jersey, L-O-D-I, New Jersey. And she did not have TV available for her. So what does she listen to? Radio. Her radio broke. So I got her a brand new radio, AM, FM radio, analog, nothing digital. So she knew how to operate it. She's 87 right now. So it was nice and easy for her. I paid about $85 was the name brand uh, radio. It was really nice. Now all the other nuns gather around her radio to listen to it. It's great. Some other statistics I didn't go into, right? 82 million people each month in the United States listen to AM and FM radio, right? Uh, a lot of stuff. I have a lot of information here, hard to convey it. What does this come down to? Why are we, why are we phasing out something like this? I say we support it more. It's ubiquitous. Everybody listens to it. And I mean, the statistics show everyone listens to it. It's easy to operate, especially in a car. Do you really want people to be on their cell phones getting the stream together for this? I don't know. So that's all I'm going to say on this. We did a little bit of deep dive here on radio uh, with this. I'm going to move along. I'm going to throw on a commercial and I'm going to set up for some news or talk about some news. And hold on. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including... Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA Recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy. So here we have some uh, reports out here on uh, you know, regular news. What well, some of our other threats? Here we have one. National Assessment of, for, of Educational Progress, also known as the Nation's Report Card, reports only 13% of 8th grade students earn a proficient score in U.S. history. In civics, only 20% of this co cohort performed at proficient levels, compared to what 
that's where in the late 1800s, I don't think any, too many people will be able to pass them other than uh, if you're an attorney or something on civics. So, again, what makes a culture? I had a professor at college, uh, William James was his name. I don't know if he's still alive. I took a class with him called Black Power. He said, if you want to destroy a nation, that was the name of the course, Black Power. How I got into it was another story. Uh, you want to destroy a nation? Destroy its history. Here we have history not being people not getting it, not being exciting. I have a feeling that if me or Jay Allen were teaching it, we could make it pretty exciting. But anyway, the um, right uh, uh, again, why, are we, why is that kind of disheartening there? Texas lawmakers passed a bill allowing removal of rogue prosecutors who failed to enforce laws. The Texas legislature passed a bill on May 28th that could pave the way for locally elected prosecutors to be removed from office for misconduct if they failed to enforce certain laws. House Bill 17 was introduced by Republican State Senator Joan Huffman earlier this year and passed the Senate Sunday in a vote 22-11 after passing both legislative houses in April. And now heads to Governor Greg Abbott's desk to be signed into law. Under legislation, Texas residents who have lived in the county for at least six months may file a petition against a prosecuting attorney accusing them of misconduct if the top of it local prosecutor fails to prosecute a class or type of criminal offense under state law, or if they instruct law enforcement to refuse to arrest individuals suspected of committing a class or type of offense under state law. So this, I think, is part of a uh, national movement here. I know in New York we had... This is an issue. Why aren't they prosecuting certain people, uh, certain crimes? So, for example, last year, I believe it was, we had an assassination attempt against a government uh, 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 candidate for governor, Lee Zeldin, that wasn't pro that they let the person out the next day, and that caused a, uh, quite an uproar here uh, with this. Uh, with this. Uh, the feds came and arrested him looking for him the next day. They couldn't find him because he was also a seated uh, uh, congressman. And I tell you what, if you're an elected official, you get attacked, you're going to have a federal investigation. Unfortunately, I know that. Uh, I had a dear friend, Robert Lustek, uh, who some of our listeners may remember because they, we all knew him, that uh, was killed in an automobile accident that was a little bit suspicious Guess what? Feds investigated. Uh, investigated. So anytime that the, a, uh, a elected official has a problem, feds investigate. So what do we do if the local prosecutors are not obeying the law when it comes down to There's a lot of stuff that doesn't get prosecuted, probably because of lack of evidence. There's a legitimate reason, but let's say that it's a little bit fishy. Uh, this is Texas's way of handling it. The problem is you keep on getting away from sovereign immunity uh, with uh, this stuff. And I know, and I always question, I did with Jim Taylor from the Heartland, James Taylor from the Heartland Institute, the president. We got to be careful with, uh, with, uh, he was on our show. Uh, we have to be careful. If we get rid of sovereign immunity, then no one's going to want to run for office or be police officers. So here we have tech industry 
uh, leaders, scientists and professors, issued a uh, new warning with regard to the risks associated with artificial intelligence. That's been a theme here. Mitigating the risk of, and this is an article from Fox Business, mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be uh, a global priority alongside other societal scale risks such as pandemics and nuclear war. They're talking Terminator level stuff. The statement said that while experts in the field, policymakers and journalists and the public are increasingly discussing risks from technology, it can be difficult to voice concerns about some of the advanced AIs of your risks. The succinct uh, statement below aims to overcome this uh, obstacle and open up discussion. Uh, It is also meant to create common knowledge from the growing number of experts and public figures who also take some of advanced AI's most severe risks seriously, the webpage said. Going through here, uh, let's see here. I have a picture here, right? This is from Making Money host Charles Payne discusses AI optimism and uh, right Dollar Tree is cutting profit forecasts on slowing demand and the state of the consumer. This is this came off as a headline. Maybe Dollar Tree uh, they would have better profits if they didn't have like twenty one million dollars in proposed OSHA citations. I, I don't know. Maybe that would be good. Maybe it's a leading indicator of some other stuff going on there. My, that's one man's safety professional's opinion here, where usually if safety is Gluvno at your company, everything else is Gluvno too. Just the way it is. You can look up what Gluvno is. Americans owe $1 trillion in credit card debt. Uh, this is from The Hill. Uh, highest rates on credit cards since Reagan uh, since the 1980s when Reagan was president. How's that ending? You're paying for your yesterday's today. You can't move forward. That's a problem. Massive amounts of seaweed washing ashore in Florida contains flesh-eating bacteria that can cause a leaky gut syndrome called sargassium. The seaweed blankets beaches. Pardon me. I got the hiccups with its thick brown algae emitting a strong odor as it decomposes. So that's a issue here uh, with uh, with this uh, bacteria. Them is calling it's causing what scientists are calling a pathogen storm. Let's check on our time here with this. Where are we? Hold on, everybody. Okay. Doesn't refresh on here. Ay, ay, ay. We got two minutes left. I want to thank everybody. Uh, you know, thanks for bearing with me here with the deep dive into radio, but it, it makes a difference. We're uh, going to be going off the air very shortly with uh, safetyfm.com, where you can hear us. Uh, we try to do three to five programs a week here from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. That doesn't always happen. Uh, so I want to thank everybody for going out there. Give us a call for all your health and safety needs at 845-269-5772. And we will see you tomorrow, God willing. And outro, wrong button. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host.
and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. Stay tuned on the video platforms. We're going to continue with some news. And we are back here. Uh, we're going to go through here. Guys, there's some other news stories I wanted to get through uh, here on what we have. Let me, we're pulling them up here. I hope you're enjoying the pro- program. I hate to be, uh, I'll carry stories over. It's a little bit annoying till tomorrow because God knows what tomorrow will bring us. Here we have from Region 6, Ocean News Release. The U.S. Department of Labor finds fire, electrical, and other hazards in inspections on two Southeast Oklahoma Dollar General. We just talked about them. Stores putting workers at risk. National retail ha- retailer has been assessed more than $21 million in proposed penalties since 2017. When Florida workplace safety investigators opened inspections in December 2022 at $2 general stores in Southeast Oklahoma, they found blocked exit routes and walkways exposing employees to fire hazards. The same types of violations investigators discovered in stores across the nation operated by the National Discount Retailer. OSHA Issued Dollar General Corporation citations for two repeat and three serious violations and proposed penalties of $267,622. It's all the same every time. Uh, again, uh, last week, no, they're, it's over $21 million since 2017. I don't know how they're, uh, I don't know how they're managing this. Probably need to reach out to them. Okay, here's our next one. Is it rocket science? Nothing is more frustrating than your weather app telling you it's going to be sunny and gorgeous outside for only to start raining two hours later. Meteorologists do uh, their best to predict weather trends and patterns, but there's always room for error. However, researchers in Texas say data collected from NASA could help improve these sometimes unreliable Weather predictions. Okay, so uh, the University of Texas in Arlington secured a NASA grant to to use data on ocean circulation, atmospheric conditions, and current weather information to make longer-range forecasting reliable. That's good. Uh, They're using NASA data with this. 
What are uh, the long-term, and here's a funny one, what are the long-term effects of quitting social media? We don't know because almost nobody can log off long enough to find out. This is from Study Finds by The Conversation. So, yeah, we could, uh, uh, no. What what are the effects? Well, we don't know. Not too many people can do it. Um, Again, if I were not doing this program, I'd probably be off social media right now. Uh, We're... uh, I'm getting more in, uh, and my uh, kids and my wife and other people are getting more involved in doing rather than social media, having a text uh, mail group, uh, text message group. What are they? I don't know what they call them. People call them different things. Going old school here because I tell you what, people don't want to get thrown off of social media for what the filters consider. Uh, uh, Offensive. So, for example, my show here has was labeled pornography on YouTube, not on Facebook. I was like, really? Safety pornography? I don't think so. Sick workers are tied, and this is from uh, local10.com. I don't know where this is. It was an Associated Press story from today. Sick workers are tied to 40% of restaurant food poisoning outbreaks, according to the Centers for Disease Control. Food workers who, hey, I tell you what, CDC does a great job with this type of research. Food workers who showed up while sick or contagious were linked to about 40% of restaurant food poisoning outbreaks, the known cause between 2017 and 2019, federal health officials said Tuesday. Norovirus and salmonella uh, germs, or salmonella, in New Jersey is salmonella, uh, germs that cause severe illnesses were the most common cause of 800 outbreaks, which encompassed 875 restaurants and were reported by 25 state and local health departments. Investigators with the CDC called for better enforcement of comprehensive food safety process, policies, which emphasized basic measures like hand washing and keeping sick workers off the job. Uh, okay, although 85% of restaurants said they had policies restricting staff from working while sick, only about 16% of the policies were detailed enough to require workers to notify managers and to stay home if they had any of the five key symptoms, vomiting, diarrhea, uh, sore throat with fever. That's only three of them. Five key symptoms, they list three of them. What the hell, Right. So they have policies and they don't enforce. Sounds like the COVID policies. This was a story today that was that uh, this past weekend for Memorial Day traveling was the busiest ever uh, since COVID. 2.7 million people uh, traveled on Friday. Unfortunately, they were all on the uh, New York Thruway. That's a joke. I know. Well, you didn't hit too many traffic, too much traffic uh, this year, and that's what we have here. I mean, we have a lot of news out there, but I didn't. I don't like to let, leave news hanging here. I like to go through the, all the stuff. So uh, I want to uh, uh, tell everybody I appreciate everybody listening. I appreciate uh, everything that's going on out there, uh, and. Uh, now, with your safety world, you need a safety consultant, give us a call. We're going to do a deeper dive this week, probably on uh, there was a controversial study on uh, first aid CPR, on specifically CPR in the news, and how uh, 
some controversy behind it. And then since I'm a trainer for first aid CPR, you can give us a call. Uh, I'm going to integrate that into uh, some of the training with that with workplace first aid CPR. Uh, some controversy came out. So for safety works, this is Jim Polzel. I hope to be back here tomorrow. Uh, and thank you for joining us on all of our online platforms. Uh, I look, I hope everything was uh, useful for you. I hope to be putting in some other programs and we're working on some more commercials and programs. Uh, that's what I'm going to do uh, right after this. So uh, for Safety Wars, this is Jim Polzel.